and welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and I'm joined today by Director of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership, Henry Mearson. Now, look, um, Henry's is a friend of the YP and he's been on the podcast before, right back when we started. But I'm going to speak to him today about mayors, about devolution, about what the Northern Powerhouse actually is and what he would like to see from the budget on Wednesday. So let's get into it and see what he's got to say. Right, so we have expert all things Northern Powerhouse um, with us today. Henry, thank you so much for coming on Podzone Country. How are you doing? Thank you, Jerry. It's great to come back. Yes, of course, because you were one of the original guests on Podzone Country when we launched right back in, oh, what was it, November 2019 and we sat in a boardroom didn't we in YP Towers with a few other people and um and chewed the fat we've come quite a long way since then I know and I mean a lot has changed uh since then and I think what's really interesting is just how much the things you talk about are now dominating not just the conversation in Yorkshire but the wider national debate oh you flatter me you're too kind too kind (laughs) um there's loads and loads of stuff to get through today because you are right this kind of stuff um does dominate the national debate and that's not me patting myself on the back you know issues that we've been speaking about for ages have come to the fore and one of the big ones really is this idea of the northern powerhouse of leveling up it's a big question but where are we with that idea of the northern powerhouse do you think so i think i mean the people in the north haven't given up on it right which is kind of the most important question and sometimes people always default talking about what the government thinks i think that is important but i don't think it's the most important question actually so the business people and actually more and more uh, people who work in those businesses and uh, wider people in civil society are pretty concerned about the impact of economic disadvantage on the people who live in the north of england and what that means for its future and I think the Northern Powerhouse as a project, right, it's now been along so long that it, it's not the government's sort of buzzword of the day. And in some ways, it probably makes it more relevant because the, the basis of it was always stuff that had been talked about a long time before George Osborne championed it. So it was always kind of around the yeah. Northern agenda on productivity and about economic rebalancing. And that's existed since the Northern way and long before that there's been attempts by government, but mostly by Northern leaders to do something about these problems. So I think levelling up is the government's answer to try and and speak to these issues. Um, Whether or not they'll make a success of levelling up, who knows, because it really depends on how much this government focuses on the economics and not just on the politics. And I think they're rightly focused on the politics. Every government is, and I'm I'm sure the opposition are as well in the way that they uh, talk about these issues. But you have to think that there's also the need for an economic consensus for us to be able to actually do anything long term in this space. And I think the public know that as well. They want people to make long term sensible decisions. And so if it's all just about political kind of short term management, keeping some backbenchers happy, few quid here for this place, a few quid here for that place because they happen to be marginal seats. Eventually you get shown up for that. And even the people who might have been the beneficiaries of that. They don't they don't actually think it's what they really want in the end. And I always use the example of do people want a shiny new thing in their town centre or do they want their kids to get a better job? And I, I think when you if people are asked to choose between those two things, they'll want meaningful economic change and not just things you can point to in a leaflet and say, look, I did that. And I think some of the smarter of the new intake MPs understand that as well, actually. And 
um, you, you said something really interesting there, which I think is actually key to is, is there's a lot of party political point scoring around this, but actually for it to be successful, this has to be a cross party situation, right? And I think some people get that and we see that a bit more with kind of mayors and we'll get on to mayors in a second, I'm sure. How, do you get the sense that there is the ambition, I suppose, still for this to be a cross party endeavour or has the Northern Powerhouse levelling up become a bit of a political football? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, the fundamentals people all agree about, right? So it's all started with a Tory chancellor and a number of Labour leaders, one of them, Judith Blake, who um, now goes to the Lords. So some of these people are still around, but now with different jobs. And um, it was never just a Tory government, right? So people sort of go kind of the Tories, Northern Powerhouse. It's like, well, yeah, it was the idea of a Conservative chancellor, but there were three local Labour leaders sat at the front in that speech. Nick and Judith and people who were the Labour leaders of the big council's time all flew off to China with George Osborne. I mean, that was not expected that a Conservative politician would make those sorts of links across the political divide and then created jobs in those metro mayoralties, which were all expected to be Labour politicians. Obviously, Ben Houchin slightly uh, beat expectations there, but they were all guessed that they'd be Labour politicians. And, and a number of people in the Tory party at the time were like, why are you creating all these new Labour politicians? Uh, and George was very clear about it, that it didn't really matter what party the people were. The point was that if they were delivering the agenda, which was to make those places more prosperous, then why would government not want to create them and work with those people? Because that's the, the, the bigger prize is to get that economic productivity uplift and to get the better lives for people who live in those places as a result. And I think one of the, the best kind of ways to think about it, isn't it, is that if we can really make the North a more successful place to live get many of the other opportunities people want, whether that's an education, skills, or in other areas. I'd love for people to all fight about who did it. Do you mean, was it me that achieved that? Was it you that achieved that? Do you mean, and arguing over who was responsible for the success is a great... The YP what won it, that's what we'd say. Yeah, (laughs) let's have that argument when the time comes. But uh, just kind of pointing and saying someone else has done a worse job of addressing inequality, I don't think is a fight anyone particularly wants to be in. And I think it's a... A challenge for Keir Starmer, who, if he's really going to try and challenge and say that what's been done so far isn't credible or isn't uh, meaningful, well, what is his plan to devolve power and responsibility? So he talks about those things a lot uh, and has set up a commission to do them, but we need to really see that he's going to go a significant distance because obviously it's not uncommon for opposition politicians to make the case for localism and then when they get into power, to become a tad more centralising. Uh, the irony of, of George Osborne, who I now work for, and I never thought I would have said that when I was uh, a Labour politician in my misspent youth. Um, I think he <laughs> went to Whitehall as, 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 a, as a minister, as tra- chancellor, and got more, more, de- more decentralising. And that's, a, that's an unusual thing to happen. So for an opposition, I would expect Labour to go a long way in demonstrating the type of state they want to create. And if they want to kind of meet the communities who wanted to take back control, that wasn't all about Brexit. So they're going to have to have some answers to people in places that do feel left behind about how they can take control of their own lives. And I think the decentralisation of political power and what comes with that, long-term tools to bring about economic and social change, that is something that I think will help communities that perhaps have walked away from the Labour Party to see that Keir Starmer and his team might have something relevant to say to them. I think that's really interesting. And there's this commission, isn't there, like you mentioned, and Gordon Brown's heading it up to 
kind of look into what Labour's devolution agenda is going to be. And I think when that reports, when we finally get some kind of tangible results from that, it's going to be really interesting to put that side to side with the Conservative agenda for devolution. You know, we know that they're creating mayors um, and see how they stack up. And I was really interested in that commission when it was launched because it was sounded to begin with like it was really focused on nations. So, you know, Scottish devolution, devolution to Wales and Northern Ireland, stuff like that. But I spoke to um, South, um, South Yorkshire Metro Mayor Dan Jarvis a couple of weeks ago and he had been in a meeting with Gordon Brown and, you know, said, no, actually, this is all about regional devolution as well. And we do get that. But I suppose, like you're saying, the proof is going to be in the pudding. We're going to want to see that report, aren't we? I completely agree. And I think that where you've got to get to, isn't it, is that there are kind of some essential ingredients for the Northern Powerhouse, which Jim O'Neill identified. So education skills that I mentioned, devolution, which we're talking about, the kind of big infrastructure projects, which people have all heard of, trains. People love to talk about trains. People love to talk about HS2 and Northern Powerhouse Rail. We will continue to talk about trains ad infinitum and local transport like buses and the, that great Devo power that people in Greater Manchester got for them. And then everyone else has had it, the power to franchise bus services, to take control of the buses um, and pretty exciting and politically potent stuff if in the right hands um all of that needs to be in the round right of the thought the sort of tools you need to be able to create more inclusive and dynamic economies and i think that what what is a powerful kind of counterpoint i think to some of this analysis is that it's very easy to have a conversation about political structures and people in local government rightly like to talk about the principle of local democracy uh people also like to talk about local economic development and how we can get local economies moving. You can't have those two conversations in abstract kind of opposition or or kind of completely separate silos. Um, and I think one of the challenges for this government is they they talk the talk on devolution, uh, but haven't necessarily gone as far as they could have done in terms of the pace of that, particularly more existing powers and, and use of existing powers and places with powers as part of the recovery. Who's going to lead the recovery? that this budget's going to set out next week. I think that there's a real danger that that, that might be done from the top, I mean, from Whitehall. And that would be a risk, I think, because I don't think central government's got a great record of spending money to stimulate demand the economy effectively. Um, I think it can be done, and people like Peter Mandelson tried, right, in the build-up to 2008. But I think if Peter Mandelson had access to a load of metro mayors with uh, powers to invest and the ability to borrow money if you let them do that... I think he would have trusted them to do more of what he tried to do from the centre, if that makes sense, when when he felt that was the only alternative he had after the financial crisis. So I think you've got to see kind of how can you best achieve what we want to achieve. Um, and I, I don't believe that thinking in abstractions about structures or thinking about making economies more prosperous in particular places in abstraction is a very good idea. I think you need to have those two conversations together. Um, and I think that this government, if it gets it right, can bring those two things together. But the kind of the symbiotic thinking around economics and place and that places are what drive the economy and that more powers at the local level best used can stimulate growth and can help businesses to succeed. That isn't as close to the fore, I think, of how we respond to the recovery as we should be at the moment. And we're just not there yet. Because I was going to say, because the point is, isn't it, is that recovery doesn't look the same everywhere and we know you know this is old ground I don't want to spend too long on it but we know that 
the North has been hit harder by the coronavirus, both, you know, in terms of health inequality, in economic terms, as we've just been speaking about, in terms of just being under restrictions for longer. I was speaking to um, Labour's uh, West Yorkshire mayoral candidate, Tracy Braben, earlier today, as we record, actually, um, and also MP for Batley and Spen, I should say. And she said, you know, some areas of West Yorkshire have been basically under restrictions for almost a year since the last budget. So it's the case, isn't it, that the North really does have to be at the forefront of this recovery more so than it ever might have had to been. And I think it's an opportunity, right? So, I mean, again, I mean, this is like reruns of I, I Love Lucy for people who <laughs> ever heard me talk or been had the misfortune. Or me as well. <laughs> one of my common pieces in the Yorkshire Post, which I'm sure all, all read basically the same as the last one I wrote. But um, the the kind of the challenge, isn't it, is you you can't look at the current crisis outside the context of what came before it so we know that wherever you live that being poor and in poor quality housing has affected your outcomes the same is true of economies actually which is if your economy was already subject to particular pressures and problems then those things haven't gone away and i think that particularly the kind of there are obviously parts of the country like london that have suffered hugely and big city centers of course have had particularly dramatic impacts because they're dependent so much on office working and that isn't happening at the moment you're talking to me from your home I'm talking to you from my home this isn't where we would have been meeting Uh, and Yorkshire Post Towers is just one example of a a thriving building that is currently a lot quieter than it normally be and those people are as we've heard not buying signs Mm -hmm. which was a huge concern to the government back back last summer so you've got to look at it and go well we could spend money going back to where we were before and just getting back to the same state we were in before but then we'd still have to spend a load more money on economic rebalancing and on infrastructure we needed to be able to address the north-south divide and i think the thing is if you want to stimulate demand in the economy investing in things that are going to have a long-term productivity benefit um, and helping businesses to start up and thrive with kind of uh, patient capital and other ways of intervening to be able to create jobs for the people who've lost jobs that that is the way to spend it if you are going to spend money in this in this period um, and don't think about the recovery and leveling up or economic rebalancing in, in the wider sense as, as completely separate because the two have to be done together because i don't think we are going to be able to afford a recovery back to where we were before and then a long convoluted program of projects to get us to a, a more equal country we're going to have to do those two things at the same time and i think that fundamentally if we can join together the recovery and that economic rebalancing then that will work and that's why the mayor should play a bigger role in leading the recovery because if central government's going to struggle to do this on its own why not ask for help you've got these people there now they weren't there in 2008 they are there now let's use them yeah and i wonder how much education ties into all that as well we already know don't we that you know there is a education recovery lead but like you say that's a centralized role that's a that's a whitehall based role um, we know the government's put money into this catch-up fund. We we know that um, the 2021 exam results are going to be kind of teacher-assessed. So there are things happening that um, Anne Longfield, the well outgoing, maybe now gone by the time this goes out, uh, children's commissioner has been really strong on this and said, you know, children in the north have actually suffered a lot more during the pandemic as well, because that education thing is so important too, isn't it? We talk about the economy and health outcomes, but the education part is key too. I completely agree. And we've published some work in the last few weeks looking at the gap 
before the crisis. And it shows that the most long-term disadvantaged kids are really concentrated in many of the parts of the north. They are smattered across the rest of the country, but particularly those often uh, white working class children from those most disadvantaged backgrounds who are kind of in poverty throughout their childhood. We know they're also the ones that have going to be hardest hit by having to learn from home remotely without access to their teachers. Because many of our northern schools, despite the challenges those kids face, do incredible work helping them to survive and thrive and do much better than that might be expected of them in so many cases, but take away their teachers, take away their, their time in school, and that puts them back massively compared to others who, this is the thing about learning loss, if you've been at home with plenty of devices and plenty of parental support, you haven't missed out anywhere near as much. And so the learning gap, uh, the kind of learning loss isn't a universal phenomenon, it's happened differentially. Um, I think, I mean, there've been some great examples. So in, in Barnsley, the local council there have funded Sheffield Hallam to send local uh, students, ex-students, graduates out into schools to help provide mentoring support a lot broader and help sort of more rounded. And that was designed in partnership with local schools, whereas the government's programme was enforced top down. And a lot of schools have have wanted something locally designed that meets their needs rather than just uh, the national tutoring programme the government have provided. And so we've said really clearly we think we need to expand that that's what northern schools have needed and if local government has stepped in to fund it we should fund that across the north and give schools the option of having a mentor for every one of their year 10 and 11 students to support that year group in particular uh, this year's GCSE cohorts and next year's because if we're going to make sure those young people can then not just move on because they've got an exam result but have the levels of learning they'll need to be able to take on future study then they're going to need all the support they can get and it's not just about purely knowledge or kind of spending more time teaching them stuff it's also about giving them the support to be able to cope with what they're going through and the challenges they're facing and particularly to help them think about what they're going to do next because if this is a more challenging world around us a more difficult labor market eventually when they leave it's even more important those young people get every opportunity to take the, ch the choices and opportunities available to them and do the right things that are going to benefit their future. So I welcome Kevin Collins' appointment. I think having him in that role is great. I think it's better than the DFE lurching from decision to decision without a lot of strategy, because I think what we do need, and there's already been a move to more school choice and differentiation of what's done in each place, because actually the vast bulk of this is about what teachers do when they start getting kids back in a couple of weeks' time and how they're supported by head teachers and the rest of the community, right, to, to, to make a difference in their kids' lives. And whatever external intervention you might think of, however clever it is, and I'm not claiming that we or the National Tutoring Programme are anything particularly special, because those are only things you can do on top of what is the most important, which is what teachers themselves do with their kids when they get them back in the room with them, um, and particularly what they do for those children in their classes who are from the most disadvantaged backgrounds. The problem the government has is they've not done enough to help those schools that have very high proportions of those sorts of children because it's all very well if you've got a few of those kids in a class to really focus on them and their needs give them the support they need but if the vast bulk of your class or large percentages of your class are from the most disadvantaged backgrounds you're as a teacher having to do a lot more than anyone else in education and how we support those schools and those teachers is what's at the front of my mind and I think it's certainly where we feel the business community in the end kind of along with civic leaders made the Northern Powers Partnership exist and, and still drive our work. That's where they want us to focus because they're interested in ensuring 
that education genuinely does give opportunities to all. And as long as we don't do that, we're consigning whole sections of society to not be able to fulfill their potential. And that's as much of a problem for the business community as it is an issue of kind of moral and fairness, because it isn't fair or moral for that to be how our society works. But it's also economically not sustainable. And for all those reasons, we need to address those challenges. And I think that's interesting because that's all kind of the stuff we like like you say knew about already and has been highlighted some of the stuff we don't know about is like who's going to be in those positions to maybe change things and you know we've spoken about devolution a bit already we've had in the last week the announcement of the conservative candidate for west yorkshire mayor we've got the consultation open on north yorkshire devolution and these are people who may be able to change something right i mean to, I, I guess to begin with what are your reflections on those two particular areas although i say too um harlan east riding was brought up in the commons as well this week so it's all going on we might have four mayors for yorkshire soon what are your kind of thoughts around that as it stands so i mean obviously we're very excited about about more powers for existing mayors but also about new mayoralties um, and the reason for that is that once you get to 100% devolution across the north, then you don't need any sort of national beauty pageants or parades, whatever you're supposed to call them these days, for funding, because you can just give the money to Metro mayors because they're the ones that, that have the legitimacy to spend money on these sorts of economic programmes. Um, and so if nothing else, it saves loads of civil servants, uh, lots of paper and, and paper clips, uh, getting people to send them stuff and, and then reading it and then marking other people's homework and sort of playing teacher. We've all probably had enough of playing teacher in the last few weeks, even uh, maybe some civil servants will want to stop doing it when it comes to how they how they run their departments as well. Um, and I think that the bit that I, I'm particularly excited about is that um, I think West Yorkshire has definitely suffered by not having a deal. I mean, it's, it's been really noticeable that the largest economy outside London, the Leeds City region, the centre of it, West Yorkshire, hasn't had... Uh, a figure and all the powers and responsibilities that come with being a metro mayor and i mean obviously i particularly think that, that susan hinchcliffe who chairs the command authority figures like judith blake now baroness blake who we mentioned earlier that all these people have been doing a great job uh, but i think that they are constrained by the fact that they don't have the same opportunities and and funding that say ben houchin might have access to or, St- or steve rotherham has had so west yorkshire books very clever in the last few years but this now gives them the same playing field yeah, I was going to say. I think if if we're if we're frank, I don't think the government takes local leaders like that as seriously as they do a metro mayor. Well, it's really noticeable that that now that, that she's an acting mayor, Susan Hinchcliffe sits as equals with the metro mayors where West Yorkshire should have been the whole time. Does that make sense through through the group of mayors yeah. that meets? And I think um, I think it's particularly positive uh, to see one of the major parties select. Uh, a prominent woman for one of these jobs and I said a few months ago that I thought it would be a shame if it was only men contesting these elections because uh, we are in a real problem where across the country not just the mayor of London but all of the metro mayors are currently men we've never seen a woman metro mayor in the north of England yet um, and I think that that should change and whether it changes in May or not we'll find out based on, on what's going to happen in the next few weeks um, but I think that what really strikes home with me is that these roles and opportunities are not just about the person or the office around them, they're about their ability to bring people together. And so what I think is 
always yeah. been really noticeable is the business community and others are really responsive to a clear economic vision and a, and a, and a vision of a place and where it's going. And if you want people to invest, then you need to be able to set that. And you, you can't do that effectively from Whitehall. So I, I think that certainly in this campaign, there'll be the opportunity for people to talk about what they're going to do to, to create the prosperity to make people's lives better and be able to invest more in public services. And more and more, I think the case has to be made for retaining the taxes we raise in our city regions so that there's a more direct connection between the success of our economy and the ability to invest in services and reinvest in communities. That's what I think we want to see as a country where we do that, where local political leaders can take the difficult decisions, can prioritise, but can also share in the benefits of success when the things they do, the investments they make, allow businesses in their areas to, to be successful. And so that's why you do need to see more strong forms of fiscal devolution. And I think that the Chancellor would be right to say that this isn't just about kind of everyone getting an allowance. Do you mean we're not we're not looking to be teenage children, do you mean getting a getting a getting a few quid every month to spend as we see fit? I think we want to be a more traditional family probably in that we want people to earn their pocket money in the north of England. So I want our metro mayors to have money to spend, significant money. But I want them to have to levy some of that through taxation. That's not necessarily about new taxes, but we've suggested things like road user charging, other difficult, thorny issues. No one wants to, to tax motorists. But if you're taking away fuel duty, that probably makes you a bit more popular than you would otherwise be. But we need to we need to make these difficult decisions and implement these new ways of and fairer ways, actually, of taxing people from the bottom up so they have consent. And so people can also see where their money goes, because if people thought the taxes they were spending were really influencing the local services they 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 receive, I think people would be a lot more comfortable with paying the taxes they do. And uh, we in this country rely on so much of our taxation revenues coming through national taxation, and we spend so little at the level of places. I don't just want to spend more at the level of the city region or the level of the the kind of economic entity, so whether it's North Yorkshire or, or Hull and East Riding and, and on the other side of the river on the South Bank these places need to have more economic responsibility. And I think certainly what the Yorkshire Post has done in championing that cause has been really appreciated because it's an important debate. And it's one that I think, although the national newspapers are really excited about the red wall, blue wall, whatever you want to call it, whatever day of the week, they haven't really thought through what it actually means and, and what people, if they were voting to take back control in that Brexit referendum, what they really wanted. And uh, however many books are written by another London-based journalist writing for a national newspaper about the economic divide in this country doesn't necessarily get us any closer to an answer because they still see it through the prism of the system they're part of. And uh, uniquely, Jerry, you see it from both sides, right? You're in you're inside the, the Westminster bubble, but you also have a foot outside it. And uniquely, you see both sides of this. And the, the, the telescope does look very different depending which end of it you look down. It does. It is a one-foot-in, one-foot-out um, situation and it does kind of you know strike me often how how the debate is still yeah very much framed around around Westminster and um, I guess looking kind of forward I'm thinking about you know when we speak about all these different devolution deals by the time we get the next election in 2024 yes I might be getting a I don't know expanding accelerating the timetable a little bit but we could be at or almost at the stage where there are four mayors representing the kind of four splits of Yorkshire and that's a that's a strong position to be in right imagine you know we've 
we've spoken on various occasions about the one Yorkshire plan and we know that's not on the cards at the moment but still to have four voices if those four voices were in agreement and calling for something from government I think it would be quite difficult for number 10 to say no. No and it gets you away from the kind of the kind of just the the sense that your local politician is there to argue your case but can't actually do anything. And so at the moment, the leader of the council might be very supportive, but they don't have any money. <laughs> Your local MP might be very supportive, but unless they've, they can have a word with someone in a bar one evening or in a, I suppose these days it's, it's, it's in a coffee, over a coffee, isn't it? We've, we've maybe moved on a little bit in terms of our decision making, but still <laughs> uh, tea rooms or, or bars doesn't really change the fact that that's maybe not the best way to prioritise investment decisions. What you're really doing is you're electing someone to do a particular job and you're giving them the tools to do that job. And they're directly responsible for you if they get it wrong. And so I think what's really interesting about about mayoralties is that it isn't just about um, spending the money. It also will in the end be about being accountable for how you spent it. And and I mean, to the extent at the moment that if anyone really knows who the Secretary of State was 10 years ago who made a particular decision, if they ever get held up for what they did right or wrong, I'm really not sure. I think people still blame Andrew Lansley for his NHS reforms, but very few get get tarred with with something they actually did and genuinely identified as being responsible for it. It just doesn't work like that in British politics. This changes things, right? I mean, whether you like buying the airport in Teesside or not, you know who's responsible for it. Uh, whether you think homelessness should be a yeah. bigger priority in Greater Manchester as it is, or whether you think Andy's going about fixing it the right way, you know that he's the person who's trying to do something about it and you know where the book stops. If he doesn't do anything or enough about homelessness, then people in May can can give him their verdict. If they think that that's something he should have rightly focused on, he's made a difference, they can say that as well. And I think um, I'd be really interested at this first set of kind of rerunning mayoral elections. At the first time, of course, it was all based on party loyalty and pretty low turnouts. To what extent people judge the individuals, not just the party ticket, does that make sense? And to what extent... Does Steve Rotherham or or Ben Houchin get rewarded or punished for their own decisions and what they've done or haven't done, considering what they promised they'd do? Um, and I think uh, what I think is interesting is I think overall the mayors are all above par, right? So regardless of party, people all think their local mayor is making a better decision than someone else. And whether you think Andy was right to to pick a fight with government back last year and whether he was correct or wrong about what he was trying to do. Um, I think a lot of people in other parts of the country thought that actually they'd quite like someone to stand up and fight for them uh, and to speak for them and to have somebody who genuinely can sort of be a, be a, in the kind of the rooms, the front rooms or on the end of the phone of the pub owner and the restaurant owner and also be talking to the local NHS about what they think and can try and balance those competing interests, knowing the detail of what's going on locally. I think people quite want that. Um, and I, I always kind of, people used to look yeah. funny at me when I said I thought, that mayors were a good idea it has not been a popular idea in, in many political parties particularly in the Labour Party when I was a local councillor I was probably the only person in the world who thought other than David Miliband that mayors were a good idea uh, I thought they were a good idea when the the previous Conservative Lib Dem government first proposed them and I thought Metro mayors were a good idea as well so I, I but it's not just about the individual it's about what comes with it and that's the trade-off isn't it more accountability comes with it more political and economic control and I think that's going to be good, not just for Yorkshire, but good for the north of England. And at that northern level, when it comes to building big projects, building Northern Powers Rail from Leeds to Manchester, these big ticket items, of course, government will still play a role in those. But I think that having had leaders who were able to advocate for them, who were able to take some responsibility for trying to get them through, 
I think that is the right approach. Um, and I think that there is also a case on some matters for government to work with these people. So not just leave them to it, but on some big national issues, but which have huge regional implications to work in partnership. The same way Transport for London and the Mayor of London has worked with central government on big transport projects like Crossrail for decades now, since the Mayor of London was created back in the late 90s. So uh, these are things that can be done. The question is, to what extent does the current Chancellor and his colleagues take this seriously and, and grasp the nettle? I think certainly the current Chancellor gets it. Whether the rest of the Cabinet do, we remain to see. I'm glad you said that about um, Rishi Sunak, actually, because we do have the budget coming up on the 3rd of March. That is it, isn't it? Yes, the 3rd of March. And um, it's interesting that you say he does get it. Are you expecting some little treats for the for the North and the budget? Or do you not know? I know you do speak to Rishi sometimes. No, I mean, I think, I think that the Chancellor hasn't got a lot of wiggle room, right? And, yeah. and this budget is more about the tomorrow and the today than it is about the long term. Uh, and that's understandable. I think that we would expect that if there is a role for economic rebalancing as part of the answer to the crisis and how we build that better, uh, to, to take a, now a Burn and Boris phrase, I suppose we should we should credit it as it's it's been been nicked by the Prime Minister um, from, from Andy. So if that is the the path they decide to go on you might not get the whole way along the path do you mean i think you'll only see the first kind of direction of travel signs um but as much as kind of treasury north and relocating civil servants all that's welcome right but that isn't really going to cut it do you mean that's a that's a good idea welcome proposals but the really big ticket items are some of those big infrastructure schemes and not just the budget but we're also likely to see something called the integrated rail plan which is sort of kind of like the the height of policy excitement for your average transport nerd like me. And that will come out probably within a couple of weeks of the budget, we expect, before the mayoral elections. And that's probably actually a bigger test of the government's commitment to the Northern Powerhouse than what is in the budget. So, of course, political commentators, uh, everybody else watches the budget. It's a, It has some theatre to it. It's important. Um, I think it will be largely about extending the current support that's been available largely that's not a huge event actually it's kind of almost you could almost write some of that now in terms of people's response to it but some of the previous things the chancellor's done like the review of the green book are very significant and meaningful and so he comes into this budget unlike many other members of the cabinet who maybe haven't done enough yet in this space he's already above par that makes sense so he doesn't have to deliver kind of a box of sweeties for people to be excited if that makes sense um because he already has demonstrated he gets it and uh, what he and the Prime Minister and others around the Cabinet table choose to do around the future of the Eastern Leg of HS2, around whether Northern Powerhouse Rail gets built at all, whether it goes through Bradford, these are kind of probably more significant tests of the government than um, than what's in an individual budget, in what will be probably quite a limited yeah. agenda. And I, I think that the, the next steps around the role that mayors are given, for instance, in the recovery, you might be able to see some signs of that, some kind of green shoots, a direction of travel, and I think a direction of travel is probably as important as kind of anything huge and, and big ticket, because in this particular budget, with so much uncertainty, I doubt we'll see everything that we could ever want to see, if that makes sense, because it's just not a time for the Chancellor to be able to do those things. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't envy his position at the moment. I was in the press gallery in the Commons for last year's budget, 
Um, and then obviously it all got kind of blown out the window within probably about the space of a week. And this year he's got, yeah, no no wiggle room at all. So, um, yeah, not not ideal for Rishi. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, look, it's going to be really interesting on Wednesday. And I am sure that I will be on the phone to you finding out what you think about it then. Um, Henry, thank you so much for coming on Pod Zone Country. It's been really good to have you on. Thanks for having me back. Thank you so much for listening to Pod Zone Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I've been Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and we'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, you can find us wherever you usually find your podcasts, whether that is iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, whichever is your favourite you should be able to find us on there and look it really really helps us when you leave us a review when you subscribe when you tell your friends when you look us up on twitter i'm at jerry underscore e underscore l underscore scott um it really helps to boost us in the charts and get us more well known by more people hopefully speak to you soon